Royal Rumble. If I could see Tony Waller fight Josh Hancher, I would like stop fighting. It would be like yeah. when you see two two redneck dads in the parking lot of a Kmart that or what used to be a Kmart and is now a Halloween store, and they're like <laughs> they're they both got big old plugs in, yeah, and they're fighting, but they're also like doing the dad thing where they're kind of taking breaks mid fight. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curb, stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And I'm Graham. It's Graham! Oh, look at that! A new hey. challenger appears. Yeah, we have a third friend here today. I'm so uh, proud. Graham I'm so from proud of our third friend. Dog Sports and also the Battle Hymnal. And this is going to be a funny, weird yeah. episode where it's all live right now, also on the Chapel Bell Curve Twitter under Periscope. And uh, if you're listening on the podcast, then you're going to be hearing this, you know, without the video and everything. But we're going to do a little something different because, you know, things are weird. And, you know, it's the best time to try things, try things out. Uh, We're going to do some of the video analysis that Graham has been doing with uh, his co-host over at the Battle Hymnal, Josh. Uh, Josh isn't here today, so I'm sure you'll see him some other time. Maybe when we finally take on, uh, you know, the other UGA podcasts in a head-to-head duel of the fates. Uh, But... (laughs) It'll probably happen. I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, Graham's going to be joining us today for a little while. So well, thank pretty you great. For having me. I, of course. It's great to have you here, Graham. Um, so here at Chapel Bell Curve, typically we like to start things out um, with a little weekend wrap up. We weren't here last week, but you know we're just going to imagine that didn't really happen. Uh, we haven't really played football since the Florida game, which is uh, a real struggle uh, that that's the last thing, last memory we have of Georgia football. But uh, we like to break down last weekend, kind of what's going on in the football world between honorable mentions and dishonorable mentions. And within each of those, we'll talk about things happening between the hedges and outside the hedges. So the very first thing I want to throw at you both to get your takes on, um, Hey, South Carolina fired our, our good friend, Will Muschamp and his buyouts around $15 million. <laughs> so is this something we saw coming or, or what? I mean, is it a long time coming or did they pull the trigger too soon or what? No, I mean, uh, this was very deserved. I, If I were a more cynical man, I might say that I'm a little worried that this is like Kirby Smart's ghost of future, uh, ghost of future's past moment or whatever, where like Will Muschamp is like the nega version of Kirby Smart that never <laughs> learns to like let go of an offense and never recruits a quarterback correctly. Uh, so, That's- yeah, I mean, he deserved it. Yeah, yeah, I know that's rough. Yeah, I mean, this has been a long time coming. I think if you really want to be honest with ourselves, probably this might have happened at the end of last season if it hadn't been for the upset that South Carolina had in Athens. Um, Yeah, you're welcome, (laughs) Rexy. Yeah, see, you thought you won that game and you talked a bunch of shit, South Carolina fans, but guess who had to spend another year of their lives with Will Muschamp? You did. So who That's really the coach. won? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. Who was who was the actual victor there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Somebody the left this. Yeah. Uh, another outside the hedges honorable mention is uh, I saw an article about the – so Indiana is playing Ohio State this weekend, number nine, Indiana, and number three, Ohio State which is a funny sentence, but it's 2020, so nothing is really all that surprising. Um, the article's headline, or, or the first uh, 
line in this this story was if Indiana wins, they could be in the driver's seat of the Big Ten. And so I'm just gonna lay that there because it's it's a sentence that really cracks me up because yes, if the number nine team beats the number three team, they'll be in the driver's seat. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's some real like USA Today bullshit, right? Yeah. Like water that's some, is like... wet. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if I, mean, I won the lottery tomorrow, I could be a multi multi millionaire. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I this mean, game. Go ahead. It'll it'll no, I mean it'll be an interesting game, and I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's but Indiana done this like season it. that's been fun to watch? I mean, have y'all watched any Indiana games? I watched the Penn State Indiana game where he. Uh, where Michael Penix ran in a two-point conversion to win in overtime on a very controversial play, um, which seemed like a big one at the time, but Penn State's 0-4 now. So uh, I think Indiana's best win was probably against Rutgers. So I, I would love for them to beat Ohio State because I love for anyone to beat Ohio State, but for sure. that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that could also be uh, lent to the the – over under this game the spread of this game is 20 and a half points um with ohio state of course being in the driver's seat <laughs> of this particular game uh, which is i think i was reading it's like a historical uh for a top 10 game one of the most historical um most unprecedented uh point spreads um, of its kind so we'll see what happens yeah and i mean i think if indiana keeps that game within 21 points you would probably look at that and say like wow that's progress Good yeah that's job. a win yeah <laughs> um honorable mentions between the hedges we got some recruits do y'all want to talk about some recruits sure. i mean yeah. it's smile london committed today five-star inside linebacker out of paulding county over in my neck of the woods in dallas mm-hmm. um he's a good player i mean he's i would say i don't know graham correctly i'm wrong he seems to me like kind of a quay walker type tall he can run but yeah i mean, no, I mean he's rangy he's a- He's the number one linebacker in the state of Georgia and the number two linebacker in the country. Um, I think some people are rated as the number one player in the state of Georgia. Yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely a big pickup. And I mean, I think we're seeing with this recruiting class that uh, this is, this is more of a homegrown recruiting class than last year. Last year's class was, I think, you know, from maybe like 13 different States, I think Georgia signed players from last year. So that's, probably good and it's probably also a product of the pandemic and no one being able to do on-campus visits but i i think that the underrated thing here is that like well a how well georgia's recruited the linebacker position but georgia's got uh chaz chambliss signed or committed as well um there's another guy who's really good whose name is evading me right now but Amarius uh, Mims. Can... Mims, yeah. Well, no, I'm talking. About, I'm just talking about specifically linebackers. But um, if Georgia can sign Xavier Sori, who is set to commit here soon, you're probably looking at like a historically good linebacker class. You're you're looking at four linebackers, um, which I feel like we say that every other year with UGA football. But it, I mean that that is probably the most important position. Uh, in modern college football in terms of defending a spread offense. And all I have to say is I really hope you can defend a wheel route. <laughs> that's that's all we'll yeah. have to say about that, right? 
Lordy, lordy. Um, I have some dishonorable mentions here. I'm going to skip my first one. My first one was basically just the entire SEC because I don't even, what was it? Like just two games ended up being played last weekend in the SEC. Um, The rest being canceled or postponed. But the biggest one being talked about right now, and this is just a little bit of news for you. um, If you're not paying attention, LSU is having their own Baylor moment, essentially, with um, a whole lot of mess going on. Lots of cover-ups, lots of... um, talk of uh specific players football players specifically being accused of certain uh, sexual misconduct um lots of allegations of sexual assault etc cetera, etc cetera, uh, being covered up and usata today actually was the one that broke the story on monday um that it's been covered up no less than nine members of the lsu tigers have been reported to police but none of them have been uh taken any further so the only reason i really bring this up is because with the lackluster season LSU Tigers are having this year I think that I wonder at least and speculate a little bit does despite having won a national championship just one removed one year um does this put him in in a sort of hot seat situation um coupled with the the poor performance the team has been having I mean I think I don't know Graham you can chime in but I mean this does feel very much like Baylor about six Mm -hmm. months out from everything going to hell um, I don't even know that Ed Ortrod needs to worry about his job. I think that like the president and the AD and the chancellor need to be worried about their jobs. Like mm-hmm. and Ed Ortrod too. But I mean, I really think it's if you read, uh, I think it was, I want to say USA Today mm-hmm. uh, or Newsweek. I don't know. Um, if you read the reporting on it, I mean, it's pretty damning at a pretty systemic level. I mean, there were yeah. there were other athletes that have been sexually assaulted or raped that were reporting these rapes. Uh, one of them was Darius Geis and another mm-hmm. one was, um, I can't remember his name, another wide receiver that had reported rape and domestic abuse to their coaches and had never gotten a title nine complaint. I mean, that's, that is the literal behavior that ended everything for Baylor. I mean, I, I you know, if, if Baylor didn't get the death penalty, then, or, you know, Penn State didn't get the death penalty. I mean, I, I doubt that they would ever death penalty anybody. But I do think, like, that is definitely show cause territory, right? Like, if you're not familiar with that, show cause is uh, uh, the NCAA can slap a sanction on a coach that says that they have to, any anyone who wants to hire them after they've been fired has to prove that they have a compelling reason to be rehired. And mm. it's basically like blackballing a coach out of the league for however long you want uh you put the show cause on them and i mean this is the kind of thing um i mean i i I don't know graham what do you think i mean i i just don't feel like this is going away like no yeah i agree with what you said it's not this isn't a football program thing this is like a, a whole university problem um i think that Coupled with the season he's having, you know, Orgeron could be heading for, like, Gene Chizik territory where it was, like, this flash-in-a-pan transcendent quarterback. In Chizik's case, it was Cam Newton shows up on campus and a national title is won, and then within two years the team is, you know, 3-8 and eight or 3-9 and nine in a total disaster. Um, but, I mean, I think if Orgeron loses his job, it's going to be not necessarily just for football reasons, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I think, though, that it's – what you said is 100% correct. This is a lot like what we started hearing out of Baylor. Um, and more than anything, it's just like, why is this still happening in the yeah. year 2020? Um, mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, it's a sad story, really. It is. I mean, and I think it's worth saying, too, like, uh, it was USA Today who reported it. And per USA Today, I mean, these were not, like, he said, she said sort of cases, it seems like. These were these were all reported. People reporting firsthand yeah. on the day after it happened, being assaulted and or raped. And then the school just systemically swallowing it. it, it mm-hmm. I mean... Obviously, it's abhorrent, it's awful, but there's also part of me that thinks, yeah, I mean, like, there are so many eyes on this. I'm like, I have worked in the periphery of UJ's Athletic Association. Like, I did some tutoring for them, and I did some class checking. And, I mean, my experience with UGA was that, like, there's 100 people looking at every single aspect of everything, and they all have mandated reporter training. Yep. Um, And there's no way that something like this, this this is what I thought about Baylor and what I thought about Penn State is... The way these bureaucracies work at these levels is there's no way that someone accidentally misses this. Yeah. This is, I mean, the only way that this doesn't get reported is because of a systematic cover-up. Because, I mean, like, I'll give you an example. When when you work with a student at UGA, or when you, um, like, when you tutor an athlete at UGA and you help them with your paper, their paper, not only do you have to keep everything you wrote down, you have to track how you helped them so that there is a record that there is no possibility that you gave them any like substantive assistance in terms of like ideas or like plagiarism or stuff, right? And so like, and that's for like academics. So what I'm saying is like from a Title IX perspective, everyone who walks into the building at the Athletic Association has mandated reporter and Title IX training. Yeah. So like for no one to say anything ever, to me that speaks for to an organized cover-up. Like, yeah. And I'm not, and not, I don't think that's a conspiracy theory. I just think that, like, the way that these bureaucracies function, if no one said anything, it means that a lot of people who should have known didn't know, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and you know, it seems like that this all sort of got blown open when one athletic trainer finally did the right thing, like the lowest person on the totem pole. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just, it's just really hard for me to imagine, you know, he might not get fired this year. But as this drags on and as you know, there's going to be lawsuits. And as soon as there are lawsuits, as soon as there's lawsuits, there's going to be discovery. Yeah. And it gets more complicated. Well, I mean, as soon as there's discovery, then people are going to start foying things. And as soon as like details get come to light, I mean, it's a different situation. But like the whole Hugh Freeze thing happened because there was a lawsuit that was totally unrelated. And in discovery, people figured out that like Hugh Freeze had been calling sex worker lines in Tampa or whatever. And like, I I just don't see Orgeron surviving this. Like he fits in so year. well over at Liberty for that very reason. Um, oh, he frees, yeah. Is, uh, he's a... Was any of this on Les Miles' watch as well? Uh, I it, I think. Hold on. So, some of it did happen during the sort of Darius Geis era, mm-hmm. which yeah. was. Which so yeah, there were two. There were two women. Um, he was accused of rape by two separate women, and the third accused him of taking semi-nude fo- photos without her consent. And so that was yeah. that's the biggest issue with Dar- uh, Darius Geis. Yeah, so there, there's one. I think basically one year of overlap. Darius Geis came to LSU 2016. Now I don't uh-huh. know if any of this reporting came in under uh, LS Miles, but I think some of it might have happened. But ultimately, like. The, I think the problem that Orgeron has, and it's not even a problem, the reason Orgeron is at fault for this is that Orgeron was on that 2016 staff. Mm. He was the interim coach after 2016, and then he was the head coach. 
and like Orderon really... is is the one on record defending Darius Geis yeah. um, specifically. There, so... there is there is a there's a sort of like axiom in teaching, and that, this isn't a one to one comparison, but there's this idea in teaching that like ultimately the person responsible for what happens in the classroom is the teacher of record, and the teacher of record is the person who can input grades. So like, uh-huh. uh, you know, not your co teacher, not the person, not your para pro. Ultimately, like if you have if you're the teacher of record. Like, if something goes wrong, it's on you. And I really think, ultimately, what happens in this is, like, once we get into Discovery and people find out stuff, it's going to become very clear that, like, Ed Orgeron was explicitly the teacher of record in this situation for the entire time. Yeah, you could, and someone in our Discord just said, you condone what you allow. Yep. And that is a that is absolutely a teaching thing, too, where it's like, if something happens on your watch, even if you didn't do it, if you didn't do something about it, you said it was okay, mm-hmm. right? And that's, to me, that's the most damning idea. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's pretty dark, but I think it's important to talk about because it is as much as, as much as we would like college football to be an oasis from other dumb stuff in the world. I think when college football is the problem, it's important that we address it mm-hmm. and try to fix it. Right. I mean, it's the same thing with Penn State, same thing with Baylor. Yeah. Uh, so let's get to why we're here today. We gather here today. Um, to talk about the Georgia Bulldogs and the Bizarro Bulldogs and Mississippi State Bulldogs. So uh, we usually start big and we get real small. Uh, big being subjective narratives. What are people saying about this game? Um, one thing people are saying about this game is that it might not happen. There's some rumors going around that uh, Mississippi State is just one person away, one defensive lineman away from not letting this game happen and maybe canceled because of it. Uh, and so there's that, which, uh, I mean, after the last game we all played, we're kind of in a situation where it's like, well, there goes the season. Um, and it's even further after this weekend, right, y'all? Yeah, I mean, I I think there's an over 50% chance that UGA doesn't play another game this year. Yeah. And I don't think that's me. I'm not saying – or maybe it's right at 50%. I mean, I, I I think it's more – I think when before the Florida game, if you had said, what are the chances that UGA plays – every remaining game on its schedule i would have said like 85 but it's become clear that the pattern with these things is that the way the contact tracing works i mean two two positive tests was what moved the missouri georgia game yeah right two two positive tests and i just i i worry slash am elated slash i i have a, a very i have a mix of feelings about postponing these games you know what i mean like, I have a big mix of feelings where it's like, it sucks. Uh, it might ultimately be the better thing to do for humanity as a whole. Uh, but it sucks for Athens to lose a home game. It sucks for a lot of people that work in Athens and depend on home games, even mm-hmm. in a pandemic. Um, so I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't really have a lot to say that hasn't been said. I don't know about you, Graham. But... I mean, I think that I think if Georgia was still in like a spot where there was a a reasonable, plausible path to them winning a division title that it'd be much more likely that you would see them play the full 10-game schedule because um, the FCC wouldn't want that for the integrity of competition. But going – yeah, I mean, it might be a nine-game season. It might be an eight-game season. I would be very shocked if we don't see them play another game at all. Um, there's still four more on the schedule. And, and the truth is, is like what we've seen this year, right, is that – once a team has kind of a, a COVID rash or a COVID breakout, like once a player tests positive, they don't get tested for the next three months. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, 
I think we're, we're getting to a point where so many people are testing positive that we probably have more players that have been positive in the last three months than than anyone wants us to really realize. Um, so just in that simple math, I think there's a, a good chance we, we see a lot more games played. But Yeah. It, go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, I, I mean, I think that Georgia really needs this game, honestly. They um, need a game, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, exactly. They need a get-right game, and Mississippi State is a good team to get right against, um, which we can discuss why moving yeah. forward. But, yeah, I mean, just to get that bad taste of the Florida game out of mouth and – if they're going to wear the black jerseys, that's always good for recruiting. Um, mm-hmm. Just just get a good feeling back around the program. I think is important. Yeah. Well, let, let me ask you. Let me ask you this: to, If we say, you know, there's a more than fifty. It's more than a coin flick that UGA plays one more game this season, right? Seventy yeah. percent or something. What's the percentage chance that UGA plays two games? Because I really think mm. that's where the drop is. Because I, 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 I think you're right. Like. If UJ doesn't go to the SEC championship, they will find a weekend in December and play again. Like, yeah. I, and I, even if, even in your worst case scenario, but I, I do worry about how we saw the pattern in the SEC West, where it was like one team in the SEC West has to postpone a game. Now they all do. So I just feel like that pattern has not hit the SEC East yet. Like the reason that all those games were canceled last week was almost exclusively West teams. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, I, I, I worry that we might see the same sort of pattern and rash of things happening, but in reverse, right? Um, just because the, t- the most of these games, cancellations or postponements or reschedulings, they're not over 30 positive tests. Mm-hmm. They're over like four. Right. Yeah, totally so, yeah. I mean, like you said, it's a contract, contact tracing, but, I I think I think two is likely, but I that's to me that's where I think the fall off point is just because it's like you look at who's left on the schedule. Um, Missouri you, has has been through so much COVID already that I think it's kind of in, you know it, there's a good chance we're gonna see them just because I don't think they can really have that many more people get sick and and have to miss games with the amount that they've had. They've had kind of three big waves now so you probably get to play missouri and the the new rule that sankey passed where if two teams know that their game is going to be canceled but neither of them are having COVID issues or above the roster minimums they can go ahead and schedule each other as long as i think it's five days out so you might see georgia play like someone that you might not think they're going to that's not left on the schedule just because both of them are in a good place Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let, let's talk about the game itself. Yeah, I so, think I think we all we are all at this point ready to uh, ready to acknowledge this game cannot happen. So we just have to <laughs> pretend like it's going to. Yeah, and then if everything we say is irrelevant in eight hours, then we had fun saying it. Yeah, we'll see what happened. Yeah. yeah. Let me throw some FPI numbers at you both um, for both these teams. And Nathan, if you want to hit me with the SP and pl- SP plus after that, then we'll move into the. Uh, the the play breakdown with Graham and Graham can lead us through all that. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds great. Okay. So the Georgia FBI numbers, we continue to drop in offense. We're still ranked 10th overall. Uh, we're coming in at an 81.9 um, uh, number. Excuse me. And uh, 10th rank. Our offense has dropped to 41st. Uh, defense is still sitting at 4th and special teams are at 9th. 
as compared to the Mississippi State team, they are ranked 73rd, so just about average, just about average all the way across the board. Um, somehow their offense sits at 114. So this will be by far the worst offense we have faced this season. Uh, what started out with uh, just a, a real bang has uh, kind of um, unveiled itself as sort of a flash in the pan, the air raid offense. But their defense is 10th, and then their special teams is 108th. So a real weird team. Defense, not too bad. Um, offense, hella good. But um, what does the SP Plus tell us, Nathan? What do you think? I'm trying to find the his the correct tweet here. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's just kind of... It's weird, though. It's all over the place, but... Um, hold on. Well, just pe- pedal for time. That's... Um, <laughs> I got. I got to tell you that, like, I absolutely. Oh, here you go. Good. No, you're good. I, I just like. There's absolutely no advanced analytic that likes Mississippi State's offense right now. No. <laughs> like it's no. just not. No. Not even explosiveness. Like I feel like that's the only thing that would be forgiving in any way, right? Well, they just haven't been consistently. That like nothing they've done has worked for a long enough time to have any explosiveness. Interesting. And so I, I can't, I, the SP plus numbers are behind, behind ESPN is ESPN plus now. Yeah. Hmm. Man, I don't want to like dog Ooh. on anybody. Cause I, Bill Connolly is sort of the reason that we started the show, but, and, and get your money, but Holy hell have they mismanaged ESPN. Yeah. ESPN don't hide that light under a bush, a, a bushel br- or brush or whatever. <laughs> don't put it a bushel basket. There it is. Um, Bird in the bush. I, well, something I in my said hand. pedal for time. There it is. Graham, what were you going to yeah, say? Whatever it is. <laughs> oh, no. I, I mean, I think, yeah, uh, Mississippi State's offense has, has been really bad, but Georgia's pass defense currently ranks 106th in the nation. With, yeah, that's right. That that team of cornerbacks of, you know, Tyson Campbell and DJ Daniel and Tyreek Stevenson and um, – Will account and seeing all those four and five star players that were so hyped, they've been shredded a few times now. Um, so I said, you know, this is a get right game for Georgia against Mississippi State, but they might be sitting there as an offense and being like, well, we're an air raid offense. Like, this might be a team we can actually throw on, and they might be able to on a certain level. Well, it's. It's it's frustrating that it's frustrating to me that you know one of the things that Kirby Smart said in the media availability this week was you know defending the air raid is about deciding how much you want to change your offense and if if UJ loses this game it's because Kirby Smart decided that the Bo Pelini way was the best way which is to just not try try to change your offense and play one on one if you put like eight people in coverage I do deeply believe that UJ has the UJ has the dudes to run out there against this offense that even sure. if they've had been, been ripped up at times, like, you know, yeah, they're going to gain a lot of three to, they're going to have a lot of three or four yard passes, but I, I just don't see it happening for them. Mm-hmm. But if Kirby decides that he wants to just put everybody in single up, like that's not going to work. No. Yeah. I mean, playing man against this, it, it's, it's really shocking, but like the difference between dropping eight and playing zone against Mississippi state and, playing man-to-man is the difference between one game where Mississippi State sets the SEC record for passing yards in a four-quarter game and another game. Like, I mean, the rest of the season, 
they they've been anemic and mm-hmm. uh, there's been games where they haven't been able to score on first string defenses and so if Kirby Smart does that like i i am going to reach like a whole new level of frustration of and kind of hit a point where it's like this dude might be too arrogant to to really manage a, a championship football team or manage Georgia into a national championship position yeah i don't think he will um I think he's not a stupid person, and I think that watching a tape of what they did to LSU and then watching everyone else, it's pretty obvious what the answer is. But if they choose to do that on some, like, you know, stupid, overly principled bullshit reason, I'm going to be through with him, honestly. (laughs) I'm gonna have uh, a, a conniption a, a of sorts. I don't know what the I don't know what the anger version of panic attack is, but whatever that is, that's what is gonna happen. <laughs> I think it's just a tantrum. Yeah. Uh, no, so, no, no, not a tantrum. No, a tantrum. No. That implies something like puerile. Um, this is but, gonna be pure. Yeah. <laughs> this is not gonna hurt other people. This is just gonna hurt me. Like this is not. This yeah. is just for me. That, so, that actually could just be a really good like motto for Georgia football in general. Yeah. <laughs> this is not going to hurt other people. This is just, this is hurt just going to hurt me. So go dogs. let's go dogs. Dogs on top. Dogs on, <laughs> dogs top. on top. Hashtag uh, dogs on top. There was actually, so a quick tangent. Um, when I was working at Creature Comforts on game days, we, uh, you know, we would have to hop on the microphone to like do announcements and let people know when we were doing like backstage tours and stuff of the facility. And on game days, we made it a game of um, whoever could work dogs on top into their conversation the most would win the day. Um, and so that was always a really fun game. But y'all should definitely try to work dogs on top into your conversation on game days. Uh, it's a really fun game. <laughs> I'll do that. But uh, hey, the, the biggest objective narrative, now that we got a little bit of the, the stats worth highlighting kind of out of the way, the biggest objective narrative going into this game is... JT Daniels, our mustachioed hero. What the hell are we going to do with him? Will we finally see him play? Has he healed up enough? Um, I know, Graham, you have done plenty of work on this, and I kind of want to hear uh, your take on this situation. So what what do we even see? Is it worth it? What's, what's the deal? Yeah, well, so, I mean, I think we're in the midst of a COVID ad hoc season kind of bootleg, and there's no reason to care about a game against a one in six or seven, whatever they are, Mississippi state team, except for the fact that like this game tomorrow, I think a lot of, or not tomorrow on Saturday, if it happens, I kind of am looking at this game the same way that I would look at like a season opener where it's like, okay, like we're going to find out a lot about what Georgia football is and what more importantly, it's going to be going forward over the next year year and a half um everyone in the fan base seems to kind of have given up a little bit on the current quarterback room and i get it it's it's been a frustrating year but asking brock vandegrift to come in next season after playing single a private school ball in georgia and saying all right we're going to throw this kid out there to start game one against clemson in charlotte which i think i mean i that's an important thing to remember is like we play Clemson, you know, four games from now or five games from now on our schedule. So yeah, Daniels was an extremely talented prospect. He's one of literally the highest rated 
quarterback recruits in the history of the recruiting industry. Uh, and he went to USC and he played as a true freshman 17 year old on a really bad team that would have been really, really a lot worse without him. Um, and I think the thing that I want to talk about and look at a little bit is there's a lot of folks I think that have like already decided that JT Daniels is not the answer at quarterback. And he might not be like, we haven't seen him take a snap at Georgia yet, but going back and looking at the tape of what he did at Southern Cal, there's a lot of good things there, especially when you consider he was a true freshman. And I I do have some numbers that I kind of want to like throw out just to add a little bit of perspective and mm-hmm. so Fromm is a true freshman in 2017, threw for 174 yards per game, 62% completion percentage. Um, Matt Stafford, he played a lot as a true freshman in 06. He threw for 134 yards per game and a 52.7 completion percentage. Aaron Murray's freshman year, 2009, which he started every game, 234 yards per game, 61% completion. And Daniels in 2018, 242 yards a game, 59 and a half completion percentage. And Daniels was 17 years old. He was a year younger than all those guys. So the point being in all that is that, like, there's a huge leap that happens for these really talented quarterbacks that are that are talented enough to come in and start as freshmen at, at kind of five schools between year one and year two. There's a lot that gets learned. And Daniels only played a half of football in 2019, but – he was 25 for 32 passing for 254 yards and a couple of touchdowns in a passing system that has a lot of the same principles that Todd Mockin's offense does. So I, I'm excited to see what he can do because I I think like the it would really raise the, the floor and the ceiling for that matter of, of what Georgia could be in in twenty twenty one. Like if he's a good quarterback, Georgia is a legitimate playoff team and and national title contender next year and if he's not then we're probably another couple years away from being at that level again because Vandegrift's not the the numbers we just read that's what you can expect from Vandegrift next year he's not going to come in and throw 68% completion and set the world on fire with like 35 touchdowns and 7 picks he'd still be better than what Stetson Dennett did this year (laughs) 100% yeah it would and I mean there's plenty of reason to be excited about him but like, if you want Georgia to be a, a viable contender next year, you need to be oh, yeah. JT Daniels is the guy. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's there's some evidence, and we can, if we want to get into the film view here, um, yeah. there, there's some actual sort of schematic. and I mean, I, there are some one-to-one um, elements that we can look at in his time at USC that we think translate very well to UGA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and so I think... And before really, we get too deep... The, into the film review, I will say just before we go there, um, if you're listening on the podcast, this is uh, we'll kind of narrate what's going on in the the video, just because I mean you'll be able to kind of pick up. It's kind of like a radio broadcast, but if you want to actually watch what we're about to be talking about, it's always going to be on the Chapel Bell Curve YouTube. You can find it in the show notes. You can also just find it by searching Chapel Bell Curve on YouTube. But I'll toss it back to you guys. So, so do you do you want to roll in in here, Nathan, or? Yeah, sure. Um, I I really like. I want to talk about the the first one, the USC clip seven. Do you have that one pulled up there? I do. Justin? I realize you y'all probably the, can't the, see this, can you? 
Do you have the stream for us? Let me do that um, while we're sitting here. here live on all this. Um, yeah. yeah, now this is a really, really polished product <laughs> that we're outputting right now. Gonna... Oh, I keep hitting my microphone today. But yeah, I will open that up real quick. And the way I had done it before was like this. Oh, and we lost, uh, we lost Graham. Well, he's right gone forever. So I'll he, hop this he, in here he real quick. Share this screen. Sorry, I had to plug. Oh, CBC up. bot. Yep. Okay. CBC bot, your beautiful boy. That uh, <laughs> his video is not a watch stream. Boop. Okay. There we go. Okay. So yeah, I've shared the screen. Uh, shared the screen with you, so you can be able to check this yeah. out. But um, yeah, I'll transition to this. So this is gonna be the first clip. Let, let's roll this play. Um, I and this is something that. Uh, What's this or that Graham pointed out in his notes? Uh, just this is it's just sort of like a stereotypically good throw from a quarterback. Uh, Graham, you can kind of like dissect this a little bit more, but I mean, the footwork keeps his feet moving, he doesn't stay still in the pocket, he delivers a very clean ball to an open receiver, but his arm slot. And if you want to kind of you can talk to us more about what arm slot means, his, his delivery mechanics here are really good. And he has a clean pocket, but like ultimately, uh, you know, Stetson Bennett had a lot of clean pockets this year, right? And so, like, what are you seeing here mechanically with this that really is like so that that really impresses you so much, Graham? Yeah. So number one, I mean, there's there's good footwork there, and he kind of just calmly moves away from the rush. I think number two is the arm strength to be sort of moving and having his momentum rolling left and then throw back to the right across his body and, and hit a wide open, not wide, but I mean, you know, hit an open receiver who is running away from him. That's not easy to do. Go out in your backyard and try to do that. It's really hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the arm angle and the slot that you were referring to, Nathan. So he kind of throws that ball like a, a little bit side-armed in a decade ago and, you know, going back like, quarterback scouts that scout NFL prospects hated when, when guys would change the, the angle that they, they threw the ball from. Now it's seen as a really great asset in a quarterback because it allows him to maybe throw over a rushing defender or throw under a, a guy that's jumping up to try and block a pass. But like all those batted balls that we've seen this year from, from Stetson Bennett have been because Bennett lacks the instinctual ability to find those throwing lanes and alter his delivery to throw the ball into those open lanes in the line and in the defense. And Daniels does just that here on that play. The other thing that's really impressive, though, is it's a third and 13. He's in his own end zone. He's a 17-year-old true freshman in one of the first few games of his career. And the rush is coming on to him. His primary wide receiver doesn't come open at first, and instead of like panicking and ducking and kind of just trying to run into the line and get the ball back to the line of scrimmage, he actually looks off the defender that's on his primary wide receiver and then comes back to his primary target when he gets open. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's extremely calm and cool, and he's back there in the pocket for a long time, and he never panics. And I think we've seen this a lot this year, with Bennett and Mathis, there's kind of that internal clock where they go one, two, three, and somewhere between like three and four, even if they're not about to get sacked, they just kind of start 
ducking and they don't keep their eyes downfield. And it's just sort of this mad dash and the play's dead at that point. So yeah. there's a lot to like in, in that one play. And, and, I, and I will say schematically, that is, a, that is just a straight up four route. That's an in route. And I think that was from his slot. Um, and that is the like slot in route. That's something we've seen a lot out of UGA. That is like a, a I mean, that's not really a play concept. It's just a route and it's in a, in a, in a firm position, but it is something that we've seen a lot this year from UGA, that deep in route. Um, yeah. You want to, let you want to queue up the next one here. Um, we want to look yep. at clip eight. Yeah. Um, it's just quick game, right? And this is something that uh, we haven't really had a great feel for. And, Right. No, and, and I think, you know, we see on this play, like, it's just a, a quick read by the wide receiver and by Daniels that that defensive back starts backpedaling right before the snap. And both of them know that, hey, we've got an easy five-yard completion. Sit down right there. But he delivers that ball to the back shoulder perfectly. Um, never puts it in the danger of, of the defensive back intercepting it. But the thing that I think a lot of people have forgotten over the course of the season is that, like, Jamie Newman was already on campus when Todd Mockin showed up, and and Todd Mockin wanted to go out and get JT Daniels as a grad transfer, and I think a lot of that has to do with his ability to throw these quick passes and his experience in a read-based offense. Um, for those of you that have been watching the Battle Hymnal and, and listening to Chapel Bell Curve throughout the season, you've heard Nathan and I talk about it a lot, but a lot of Todd Mockin's offense is just – reading what the defense is doing and having receivers either run to space or sit down when they find themselves in space. And Daniels has a ton of experience playing in that system. Um, the air raid is, is based on just throwing the ball to the open grass and open spots. So um, I, I think they're, that's missed a lot in, in Georgia's offense this year. Like, yeah, we haven't been able to complete downfield passes, but we also have not done a good job of completing little five and six yard out passes either. Um, and that that's kind of the foundation of any offense. Like if you can't do that and stay ahead of schedule in front of the chains and as well stay in a place where you're creating more threats for the defense to have to defend, you're never really going to be successful as an offensive unit. Yeah, and I mean, schematically, like, that little, I mean, curl, sit down, whatever you want to call it, like, that is something that's been all over UGA's offense. Um, And before the, like, before weird schematic Twitter gets on me, I literally have the route (laughs) chart pulled up right now. So everybody calm down. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, that that has been, and I don't know if that's a side adjustment. To me, it looks like a side adjustment. And that's another thing that's really been missing from UGA's (laughs) offense is just you know, quarterbacks and wide receivers being on the same pages on what these option routes should look like. Um, And I think it's my sort of optimism about JT Daniels is not a star rating thing. It's not a, you know, it's not his arm. It's just, I think he fits what we want to do. I think he, he knows how to throw in this system. And I, and I, and I think, and watch this pro transition. I think our next uh, clip (laughs) is sort of like, a, a really good, uh, a really good example of that. Let's look at uh, uh, clip twelve here. Ooh, yeah, like he just looks like what the modern SEC and modern college football is looking for. Honestly, yeah, like just that quick off the hand. He puts it where it needs to be and doesn't doesn't think twice. So on the one hand, I hate this play because 
go routes in the end zone don't work. And this one just happened to work, but that doesn't mean that they work. Um, but on the other <laughs> hand, and, and Graham has this on his notes, and Graham, I want you to go more into what you mean by this, but yeah, you know, there's this concept, and it's and it's a very popular concept in air raid uh, football that like the deep pass is actually a touch pass. And yeah. this is a really good example of that. This is just like a beautifully thrown ball. It's over the head of the defender. It's right where it needs to be. It has a lot of touch. It's not overthrown. If, if anything, I really don't think that, um, you know, arm strength has really been the problem in the Georgia quarterback room. If anyone, And if anything, Dewan Mathis has a heater, right? That's the problem. He only throws one speed. And this is a good example of, especially in these air raid influence systems, I mean, the Mike Leach air raid, when they practice, they practice a lot of the time throwing to garbage cans on the field where their wide receiver is going to be, right? It's all about touch. It's all about placement. And this is a good example of a play where he's just putting the ball in the right place at the right angle at the right velocity. I mean, what are, what are you seeing here? No, I mean, 100% what you're saying. And I think that, like, the deep ball is a touch pass. And what I mean by that is that there has to be a, a certain angle on it. And you need that ball to to drop in over the defender. And, I mean, the Florida game was a perfect example of Dewan Mathis. And I, I think people think that Stetson Bennett has a weak arm, but if he had a weak arm, he wouldn't have overthrown so many receivers that he overthrew in the, in the Florida game downfield. It's not about that. It's about the fact that when he throws a deep ball and when Dewan Mathis throws a deep ball that we've seen so far, it's a flat ball. And, A, that makes it a lot easier for it to get picked off because it's not going to get over the defender's head. But B, it's it's a lot harder to be accurate on that pass because it, it's I mean it's simple geometry, right? Like if you put something up higher in the air and you let it arc in, there's more time for the receiver to run under it. But there's also it, it's harder to defend. And I mean the the play that we're looking at here where he's throwing it to his receiver and his receiver is running into the end zone. Like he puts that ball literally on the outside shoulder of his wide receiver on the line, on the edge of the end zone, basically like halfway between the two pylons. And there's no universe. There's nowhere where like you would rather put that ball. He puts that ball somewhere where like his guy has an opportunity to win. And the other guy is out of the play. And if he throws that same ball flat, like Georgia's quarterbacks have been throwing it this year, that defensive back just has to turn around and jump up in the air and catch an easy interception. And so it's it's all about trajectory, right? And I mean, it's you know, we could find someone to come in and and talk about like launch angles and stuff like that. We don't want to fall that far down the wormhole. But the point is just like it, he's a natural thrower. If you look at that clip when he steps back, like he takes the snap. He takes one step backwards and boom, like he's already into his throwing motion. He's throwing with his hips and with his torso much more than he's trying to like torque his arm. And it's just a smooth, soft, catchable ball. Yeah. Um, do you want to do you want to look at one more here or a couple more? I think there's yeah, a really more, good um, one. Uh, yeah, I think let's look at uh, this next <clears> one for sure because. The next two actually, I think, show a lot of really good stuff. So, this is just an all-world throw. Um, stupid people on the internet will watch this throw and they'll be like, "He threw it behind him, man." Um, he threw it there, a because that's where the space was. But b, if you look at that, he drops that ball over 
two linebackers and in front of a defensive or a safety. But like he threw that ball kind of to the backside of his receiver because <laughs> otherwise it's going to get intercepted by the linebacker coming underneath. The ability to like see that that field vision to see uh, to have enough confidence in your arm and to to have enough processing ability, I think is is the way I want to describe it because like it's so quick to to find that. But, like to see a passing window in there is. I mean, it's it's prodigal, right? Like it, it's not prodigal, but like it's 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 extremely rare for someone of that age to see the that many chess pieces on the board, right? Like with young quarterbacks of that age, and even with a an older quarterback like a Stetson Bennett, a lot of times, like they don't see the field; they see a little sliver of the field, and they see their wide receiver and maybe the guy that's covering them. And if we're lucky, they see one other defender in the play. JT Daniels sees the entire field when he catches the ball. And I think that has a lot to do with what he sees pre-snap as well. But, like, if you watch a lot of film on him, you can tell that there's certain pre-snap looks that he gets where he intentionally moves his head and, and, you know, moves a linebacker to one side or, or moves the safety to another side so that it's going to create a window four or five seconds down the road when his wide receiver is crossing, you know, across the field. So it's, it's a really high level of stuff that like even some NFL quarterbacks don't do well, honestly. Um, I'm not saying he's like the second coming of Peyton Manning or Joe Montana, but there's a, that's the type of thing that, coaches are going to talk about and all that but like you're kind of born with that like by the time you get to college if you have that then you have that and if you don't then you're going to get better and you can get better but like there's no way to really teach someone to to see in that broad of a spectrum and i think with like stetson bennett dewan mathis it reminds me of that version of madden where like it had the throwing cone in front of the quarterback. I don't know if you guys remember that, but mm-hmm. like, if you if you didn't throw at the receiver like right when he was in the cone, then it was always going to be an incomplete pass. And the bad quarterbacks, their cone was like this big, you know. Um, and right now, that's what Georgia's been working with. And all of a sudden, you've got a quarterback that opens up the entire field. Yeah, I I, I think. And this is not uh, – I have no sort of like um, – this is not an objective take. This is more of a subjective take. But when I, lo- when I watch this film, I see something that I haven't seen from a Georgia quarterback since probably Murray, which is just feel. He, he just has a feel for – and like you're saying with the cone of vision, like that combination of accuracy, timing, instinct, ability to move in the pocket. You know, Jake Fromm had it when he was really rolling – but I don't think we've really seen a quarterback do it on a down and down to down ba- basis since Murray. And it's just the ability to just like be a second or two ahead of the play or even a millisecond or two ahead of the play. And, and there's no, and I'm not saying he's never going to take a sack or he's never going to throw a pick. I mean, this guy grew up in an air in an air raid system in Las Vegas. He's going to throw some picks. There ain't no doubt about that. But, um, but he also is going to score a lot. If he, I think if he could get to that level and, and, and I think, reading the tea leaves 
the reason he hasn't started till this point is because he just wasn't that good. And I think, you know, that is probably has a lot to do with recovering from an injury, but that's a different thing from saying he was injured, right? Like, I, I don't mm. know that he was necessarily injured. I just think when you're coming back from injury, you're just not good on the way, like on your first day back. Like, yeah. Well, and I also think that like when you have somebody that's that talented, um, the last thing that you want to do is break them. And a guy that hasn't played football in a year and had to have a second knee surgery because the first one didn't go wrong, like that would be a huge mental hurdle for anybody, right? And so the last thing you want to do is put him in a situation where like he's not going to succeed. And I think he's in a situation now where he gets to go out against Mississippi State, who has a good defense, but like I don't think their offense is going to put a ton of pressure on Georgia to score. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest thing is just he gets to go into this game and George Pickens is, is going to be healthy. Um, you're going to have a little bit more of a complete team around him. Like I don't know what Milton or McIntosh's status is, but going out there with George Pickens versus not going out there with George Pickens is a big difference, right? So yeah, just having that like chess piece on the board to to kind of move things around and help open up other receivers should help him a lot. Do you want to see this next play? Yeah, let's do it. <clears throat> All yeah. right. Cue it up. This is a great touch pass. Yeah, I mean... I mean, excellent movement. And then just across the body, across the field. And, and the thing about... The thing I really like about this play, I mean, it's not a traditional touch pass, but like it's thrown across the field with some loft, which is not what you normally teach someone to do in that situation. But he doesn't do the Dewan Mathis thing, which is to be in trouble and just bullet it somewhere to get it out as quick as possible. Like he right. throws a catchable ball on the run from a weird angle while being tackled. Like that's, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that's an NFL throw. 100%. And I, the, like, I know I mentioned it on the first throw we looked at, but like, again, to me, the most impressive thing is just that the guy never panics. Like, he keeps his eyes downfield the entire time. You know, he steps up into the pocket, that collapses, he steps back out, and like, he, he keeps the play alive. And those are, those are winning plays. And like, when you get to high level football where Georgia wants to go, like that's the type of play that Joe Burrow made on us in the SEC championship game last year, as I'm sure you guys remember where, you know, <laughs> it was where the he rolled out right and threw that crazy like seventy yard bomb downfield and it was the backbreaker. But most quarterbacks that would have been a sack or an incomplete pass. Like those those type of plays swing games, especially games between good teams. So I'm not saying JT Daniels is going to come in on Saturday and he's going to be like the second coming. Um, but there's really no question in my mind that like, and this might be controversial to some folks, but I think he has more natural talent than we've seen from a Georgia starter. Like, I, well, you know, I know Murray and, or I'm sorry, I know Fields and Eason were, were on campus and like Justin Fields is absolutely a, a specimen, but Justin Fields didn't show up on campus with this kind of throwing ability and this kind of pocket presence and vision. So it's like, I, I do honestly think that we haven't really seen somebody show up on campus or sh- like 
if he had come to Georgia as a true freshman, he would have showed up on campus as a more polished and more game-ready true freshman than Fromm, Eason, Fields, and maybe even even Stafford was. I mean, Stafford became something totally different. And I'm not saying he's going to be that, but I'm saying, like, all the tools are there for him to be yeah. an incredible quarterback. Like, he, he could be as good of a quarterback as Georgia has had in a very, very long time, if ever, if the things that he possesses naturally are used correctly and focused in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Which, I mean, I know that's like a large statement, but watching that film, do you feel like you're watching a 17-year-old kid or do you feel like you're watching like a a senior or a junior who's about to be a high draft pick? This this definitely feels like that, yeah. He was not, to be fair, as consistent as he was in the clips are showing all the way through because he was mm-hmm. a freshman on a bad team, as we said. But if you take the best of a player their freshman year, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that their second year playing, they can get closer to being that more consistently. Totally. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Yeah, I don't want to color this inaccurately. The guy threw, you know, 11 interceptions his freshman year. Um, but... I think the ceiling with him is just extremely, extremely high. And as a freshman, he definitely made some, you know, made some mistakes and, and did what freshmen do. And there was times he threw into coverage. Like there was times I think he trusted his arm too much, which we also saw from Stafford a lot in those six where it was like, I'm a gunslinger. I know I have a big arm. I'm going to throw this ball into that window. And that window <laughs> really didn't exist in college football the way that it did in high school football. But I think there's a lot to be excited about. We got a few more plays here. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to hit you with them. So what are you seeing? So, I mean, I think this is, if we can run this back, sorry, I missed it a little bit, but um, to me, I think it's, it's the, it's the reading ability, right? Like he scans the field. He works through a few progressions. He finds that guy, and he sees him, and he throws him with throws to him without hesitation. But if we watch this pass, like he's going to throw it over a couple linebackers, and in between the guy that's covering his wide receiver and another another defender that's in zone for Arizona, mm-hmm. like that ball is basically being dropped in between three or four guys. And it's being done without hesitation. So to me, it's just like this is the type of plays that, like we've talked a lot. Georgia's got open wide receivers, but truthfully, like we haven't had anybody that really has the ability to to make those kind of throws. Because like the, he's open, that's not an all star or superstar throw. Like that's a throw a, a good college quarterback should make, but it's still a very very good play for a true freshman and, and for any quarterback for that matter. But it's with what Todd Mocken has been doing, like to have somebody that can make passes like that, George's offense like could get pretty scary within a few games. If, if he gets rolling. What's, what's most interesting about this play too, is like, this is out of all the plays you've 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 kind of brought to us today like this is the one where he sits in the pocket the longest and you kind of get to see his whole thought progression like he does look off a few receivers and chooses the one 
specifically. Like, it is a good throw, and it's the right decision, it seems. He did have other players that were also open, and so you kind of get to see the whole... He has that critical thinking that I think that we're, we're definitely sort of missing. I think oftentimes we do have quarterbacks, uh, especially right now, that overthink, and that's something that I kind of have seen when comparing like our quarterbacks to other quarterbacks that are, are competing at a higher level. Uh, but that's just kind of what I'm looking at here in this situation, I feel. Oh, totally. I mean, I think, like, watching Kyle Trask right now, he sees a guy come up and he throws the ball. There is mm-hmm. no hesitation. And it's it's that processing ability we we're kind of talking about earlier, right? Of just like, I see it, I see him open. And in some cases, there's throws where he's he's throwing guys open or, you know, he knows the route is going to come open when he clears clears a defender or, or cuts inside or outside. And that's high-level quarterback play. And like you said, I mean, we, we just haven't had anyone that's really capable of, like, kind of seeing seeing what's going to happen before it happens. It's, okay, the guy's open. Oh, wait, he's open. Okay, now I'm going to throw the ball. And then by that point, either, you know, the defender's closed or he's, you know, one of our quarterbacks, whether it's Ben or, or Mathis, has kind of, like, psyched himself out and tried to aim the ball. Um, mm-hmm. And we saw that with Jake Fromm a lot last year too, right? Like, it was – it was that I'm going to aim the ball into these tight windows kind of thing because he lost his confidence. And it's like this dude just sees a guy come open and he lets it fly. Um, and that's that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Do you want to get these last couple plays? Yeah, sure. Let's hit, let's hit it. Okay. Take it, Nathan. Yeah, I mean, so his ability – I mean, okay, so two things. One – Really, uh, you're playing a better team here than Arizona. You're against, you're against Notre Dame. You're immediately feeling pressure in front of you. Just a slight of movement, throws a slant accurately, doesn't overthrow it, doesn't throw too hard, hits the guy in stride. Like, that's not something that we've seen. I mean, and, and this is a slant that is open, certainly, but, I mean, the guy has to make an adjustment back to the ball. Um, so, you know, he doesn't have a guy draped on him, but he's certainly not. I mean, he is covered. And I, this is one of those feel things where it's like he has the rush coming, he makes a slight adjustment. He throws an accurate ball, and he takes the hit. I that is I don't have the words really for why that's important for UGA's offense. Like it's clear that UGA that any any college football program needs more than just competence, you know, at the quarterback position. But you don't need much more than that. You need sort of like high average production, right? So this isn't like a shocking play. It's not like. This isn't like, oh, he's Joe Burrow 2.0. This is just like a clean play with a good with good feel out of a starting Division One quarterback, right? And like Georgia has not had what you would traditionally think of as a starting Division One quarterback this year. And you know, I would argue that in some respects, as good as Jake Fromm was in some ways, they have they didn't have one last year. And, and not not that Jake Fromm wasn't a starter or that wasn't good but he didn't have he didn't always have the quality of just looking composed looking competent throwing on time and you know does that make jt daniels J- justin fields no but i mean i don't think georgia needs justin fields to win a national championship right they need you know probably more like uh someone someone a little better than taj boyd but someone a little a little that could be a little worse than trevor lawrence right like yeah. you, 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 you don't necessarily need Deshaun Watson, 
but you need someone who will get out there, look composed under pressure, and make throws to open dudes, right? I mean, how many times? And if you watch the battle hymnal, this has been a this has been a real theme on the battle hymnal this year. Is that like there are open guys all over the place all the time in this UGA offense? Um, yeah, all the time, all over. The place. And, and and just hitting open dudes in stride, feeling the rush, staying composed. That's just that's what Georgia needs to win, and and we haven't had it, and and I think. You can say what you want about JT Daniels as a prospect, but there's no doubt that there were times as a freshman on a bad team where he had that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think that's a, a really well, good way to put it. And I I agree. It's it's not like Jake Fromm last year. He started seeing ghosts basically after the South Carolina game. And when guys weren't open very much, but when they were open – um, it was kind of those things where he was like, oh, okay, he's open, but am I sure he's open? And it was just, everything was a beat off, right? And, like, that throw with him, it's just like, boom, the rush is coming. This blitzer came from right there. That means there's going to be a hole in the defense right there. I'm going to throw into the blitz, which is exactly what almost every quarterback is taught to do. And it's just there's not he's not thinking he's responding and reacting and that's the most important thing so you got one more play which might explain why he hasn't started because he hasn't gotten there so yeah let's hit another one here do this last one here graham um so this to me i think just says a lot about his improvisational ability um that ball is supposed to go downfield on a long route and it's covered and so he doesn't throw it, but he just kind of, you know, he feels the rush coming in, he steps up. And again, like, he he puts the ball where his guy can catch it. Yeah, maybe it's a little high, but, like, he puts the ball where 42, that Notre Dame linebacker, is not going to have a chance to, to catch it and, and take a pick six. It's not like a – it's not a hero play, right? It's not a 10-yard – or, I'm sorry, it's not a 50-yard touchdown bomb, but – it's a winning play. It's a first down that moves the chains. It is a positive play for a first down instead of a sack or a bad decision for an interception. It's it's a short gain instead of a, a panic and a thrown away ball that leads to third and seven. Like this is how offenses move and make their living and score touchdowns. It's not all about the highlight plays that we see on SportsCenter or on our Twitter feeds of like, oh, look at this explosive 80-yard play. Um, it's more about the the small things that move the chains, and I think that's that's where he might excel for Jordan. Agreed. I mean, I, I don't have much more on him. I ultimately think my biggest takeaway is don't expect him to be Peyton Manning, but don't expect him to be Stetson Bennett either. <laughs> he's got talent. I expect we're going to see moments where we wish he hadn't thrown the ball he threw, and I expect that we're going to see moments where we are like, holy God, this guy is amazing, right? I appreciate and, that that's our and, spectrum. Bennett to, well, I mean, to Manning. I, I think we're going to see more of the high end of the spectrum than the low, but I think yeah. he's going to probably throw a stupid pick. But I yeah. think, I think you know what? I, I my, my biggest prediction for this game is, I don't know if you guys remember, but do you guys remember the first game that Georgia, this might've been before your time, uh, Justin, but the uh -huh. f I remember I have a vivid memory. This was, I guess, 2015. 
It's the first game Georgia played without Willie Martinez as the defensive coordinator. I guess 2011, 2012. Yeah, that's like, much earlier. The first game with Todd Grantham. <laughs> I, and it was just like, yeah, is this defense great? No. But is everyone wide-ass open on every play? No. no. Right. This is competent. <laughs> Right, this is what I expect to see. Right, I, I don't, I don't think that we're going to go out there and look like 2019 LSU, but I think we'll see the offense operate the way it was intended for long stretches, and just that confidence will be incredibly, incredibly. It, it, it will bring me a lightness of spirit I have not had in some time. Yeah, this is yeah. fine. Is basically it. Yes, but yeah. fine is enough. Fine is no, enough. Exactly. Fine wins games. It's just like yeah, I just want to see. Yeah, it's like this looks like. A football team functioning as a football team should moving down the field. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. So to to wrap up this kind of uh, this talk about this game, um, before we get into some Ask CBCs, I do want to ask y'all. Uh, this have y'all seen the spread yet? The spread's pretty wild. It's a twenty five point spread in UGA's favor. And so after uh, everything we've kind of said, <laughs> I wanted to ask your opinion of that, which was my my opinion essentially too, Nathan's that there's no way we cover a 25 point spread, especially since the over under is 44 and a half. Now, now, okay, hold on. I will say that I've read I've read some message board rumors that it, they only have like 54 healthy players. Yeah. So that might be more about them than us. Yeah. Still it feels like a lot. Be. But it just it just feels like a, a, I mean that's yeah that's putting them in a place where they're Big just ass. gonna score nothing, and we're gonna ask everything of the Georgia uh, offense in this game, which is is interesting to me. But um, is it too presumptuous of me or, or too big to ask uh, of y'all to give me any sort of score predictions in this game uh, if we do end up playing it? <laughs> No, I think that's totally fair. I, um, I think I don't think we're going to cover, but I think we'll get close. Like if it's a twenty-five and a half point, I think that's a smart line because I could see this as a thirty-five to ten game. Because twenty-five I, I, even, by I, the way. Twenty-five even. So yeah. put. I, I guess I just predicted a push. Um, yeah. I do think that this could be the kind of game where UGA is comfortable, but it's like a 10-15 point game for most of the half, and then you know JT Daniels strings together a couple of good drives. And then suddenly it goes from 20 to 10, 21 to 10, to 35 to 10 real fast, uh-huh. right? Uh, and that's what it sort of feels like, that that might happen in the third and fourth. They got a decent defense, so, you know, might take a minute for JT to get together, but I think he's going to have a couple of drives in the second half that we're all like, oh, God, that's good. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's about right. I think it'll... I don't think Mississippi State's offense will ever, like, make this game feel like... Georgia's really in danger of losing it. Um, I think Georgia will come out early and probably try and do some things on the ground just to establish that run. And people will be like, oh, God, you know, like, here we go again. It's another Kentucky game. But I think they'll they'll get, a, you know, a 10-point lead and, and open up the offense a little bit and see what Daniels can do. Um I am feeling like it's a 34 to 13 kind of game. Um, something like that. I mean, I, I think Mississippi state has a good defense as we said earlier, right? Like, yeah, they, but they also just played Vanderbilt last week and the final score was 24 to 17 in their favor. Um, and they were favored by 17 points. Like 
I can't really stress how garbage Vanderbilt is. So <laughs> it, it really wouldn't shock me if Georgia beat them, like, you know, 38 to 3 or something like that. And it was a, a good, comfortable win, and everyone felt happy about it afterwards. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely seems like, I mean, they got shut out by Alabama 41 0. Uh, I feel like this, our offense feels more similar, and I hate saying it, uh, currently in its current form to the the texas a&m team they played and the rankings say that as much um and they lost to texas a&m 28 14 um yeah. this mississippi state team their rush de- defense seems to be a lot better than their pass defense they're only allowing 120 ish yards a game on the ground um allowing a lot more through the air but that's probably more indicative of the the teams they've played with this modern sec offense but um so i think that we may see that a little flipped um, and it, it's probably dependent on whether or not JT Daniels plays as much as we may or may not predict him to play. Um, you know, we, we could see a game split between Dewan and JT Daniels or Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels or whatever. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I, uh, so the word is that we heard today that Stetson Bennett is healthy, but he's running uh-huh. with the second team. Okay. To me, it feels like that. I, I feel like JT is going to get a game. Yeah, and we're just gonna be we're gonna. It's a free season, so why not play him? Yeah, you could still redshirt him if you really wanted to. I mean, uh, well, not redshirt him because he's already been redshirted. No, he hasn't been redshirted. He played true. Um, But yeah, Yeah, but I mean, either way, he's not gonna lose a year of eligibility. Yeah, you don't lose a year of eligibility. You're essentially redshirted. So, Um, but yeah, I I mean, and and the funny thing about this is like they're they're allowing 28 points a game, um, and we're averaging 29. So it's like, ah, you know, what do you do? Um, I don't think this is a game we blow them out of the water. I don't think we cover 25 points. That's wild to me. But I think that we 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 win handedly, and we never have a moment where we're like, oh, we're really in danger here. But maybe, you know, JT Daniels comes out and he throws some bombs, and George Pickens is like, hey, I decided to come play football today. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see this game. I think that, that Mississippi State will get their points, 14 or 17 points, but Georgia will win it 35 or 42. So if they play... <laughs> It's the name of this episode. If they play, yeah. this 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 whole hour and a half long thing that we've talked about is really going to seem dumb tomorrow. Do yeah, we have you know, guys. We've been on air for like an hour and a half. Do we have time hour to 15. do uh, our favorite segment of the day? We do. We'll let's run through a few favorites real quick um, before we let All right, y'all so go. This, okay, it's time for our favorite segment of the day. Ask CBC. Yeah. Let's if you want it. to have some Ask CBCs on the show, make sure you hit us with them. Uh, hashtag Ask CBC, Twitter, Gmail, all those things. Just let us know. Um, or hop on our Discord for just a dollar a month. You can actually hang out with us, watch these live. But uh, we'll run through some of these. These all came in through our Discord. Um, my very first question coming in, it comes from Chris D. in London. Uh, if our DC gets a head coaching job for next season, would you take Will Muschamp as replacement? Hell no. No, <laughs> fuck no. No. Terrible <laughs> idea. We took his kid. Why can't we take him, huh? I'll take Next Will question. as like an analyst. Like, yeah, offensive yeah. or defensive quality control coach. Yeah. Now, an interesting yeah. comment somebody did make on the Discord was, what if we collected all of the previous Saban disciples and made a sort of Voltron coach? Could we do that? No. <laughs> he likes, nope, he not wants to fire... It. He wants to fire his own blitz on every play like it's goddamn 2011. Yeah. As though putting a defensive tackle in zone coverage like more than once a, a, a game is smart. Anyway, no, absolutely okay. not. Erk Russell asks, rumor has it that we may wear some black jerseys this game. If so, are you excited or does it feel like a consolation prize? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I like them. <laughs> like, I, I wish... I wish that Kirby would put them in on high leverage games. I'd rather yeah. lose in black jerseys than than losing red personally yeah 
I think there's this whole like jinx thing. It's like I've seen Georgia lose in a bunch of different color Georgia uh, jerseys in a bunch of different ways that were all equally painful. So let's just get the stink on the black jerseys too. They look cool. Uh-huh. Let's wear them. So uh, yeah, I, go ahead, Graham. Hit me with it. No, no. I mean, I, I agree 100%. I think I'm excited for the black jerseys because recruits get excited for them. And yeah. Recruiting is good. So, That's kind of what I thought. Like, cool. yeah, we, we need a game this season, at least one, hopefully two, that, that that have good implications for recruitment. Like, we need to get kids excited to come, and we need that boost in recruitment. I think that's that's certainly important, even with our current circumstances. And so, yeah, make it a good time, create a good environment, despite the shitty hand we've been given. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Bro, Broma asks. What exactly wrong? What is exactly wrong with our past defense this year? With all the talent we have, it seems we shouldn't be anywhere near as bad as we've been, or is it uh, just a function of playing two of the best passing offenses ever? Graham, um, this is something I feel like you've talked a lot about. Do you want to tell me your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think it's a function of having a, an inept offense, and you know, like in the Florida game, that second quarter where everything started cascading. It's really hard to make adjustments between drives when the defense is only getting to be on the sidelines for like two and three minutes of real time between giving up a touchdown and the offense punting the ball back. It's like there's not enough time at that point to get on a wheel or I'm sorry, on a whiteboard and say like, hey, you got to get on the wheel route and you got to do all this because there's not enough time for whoever's in the press box to communicate that information down to who's on the sidelines and like make all of that work and happen. So I I think if you, if you leave a defense out there for long stretches of time and, and you don't let them rest and you don't let them adjust and you don't let your coaches do what they need to do to, to put them in better positions, like this is inevitably what happens, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think our defense is probably better than what the numbers say right now. Um, I also think, you know, if you play Jalen Waddell and Kyle Pitts in the same season, and Kadarius Tony and Kyle Trask, you're going to get burnt. And um, if this season's taught us anything, it's that there's really no cure for a great offense, and a great defense definitely isn't it. Um, and I think they're probably better than 117th in pass defense, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. but on the other hand... They've had a bunch of injuries and they haven't played well. So I mean, what are you going to do? But you're yeah. right. I mean, if we were if we were scoring 45 points a game, they'd probably be much better. All right. Yeah. Here's a Kyle Sargent question. I'm actually going to amend it real quick. Ready? It's uh, what do you think UJ's favorite Thanksgiving or Ugga's favorite Thanksgiving side is? I want you to instead, because um, Ugga loves everything, because Ugga's a good boy. Um, fuck Mary, kill three Thanksgiving sides. Ready? Turkey stuffing. Sweet potato casserole. Mary stuffing, <laughs> kill turkey, fuck sweet potato casserole. But also, I always had dressing. I never had stuffing. We never called it stuffing. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't go in the thing. bird. That's unhygienic. Yeah, we call it dressing. It is the it's same the, thing, but it it's, is the it's same made thing. differently. It's a 15-year-long argument between my wife and I. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to kill turkey as well because it's dry and it's not that good. And yeah. uh, now that I live in Colorado and don't really do Thanksgiving with family, I just cook really good like beef tenderloin and stuff okay. like that because it's good. 
Uh, I would. I would marry the sweet potato casserole, and I would fuck the stuffing. Let's <laughs> stuff the stuffing. Uh, fantastic. I think I, it's a shame that all turkey you've ever had is dry. I had a fried turkey a few years ago, and it basically changed my entire view of turkey. But you know, that's that's, fair. that's another conversation to have. Um, Kyle Sargent's second question. I'm going to ask this question, Graham. You may need to review the graph that is on our notes. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a big one. This has been a conversation we've been having on our, our Discord server for quite some time. You may be familiar with the Kinsey scale. Uh, the Kinsey scale, um, we have the, the fantasy monster Kinsey scale here, basically uh, defining your preference with uh, of, of humans on one side of the scale and monsters on the other, um, where you land on this zero to six Kinsey scale, but for monsters, um, the question from Kyle Sargent is who, what, et cetera, would be your starting quarterback for your fantasy Kinsey football team? <laughs> so this is like, uh, my, this is like what monster that I want to have sex with would be my starting quarterback. I think so. I think that's how you should interpret this question. This is tough, but yeah, I think that's that oh, easy. It's easy. It's sexy Medusa. <laughs> like no 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 not even close look is it because like, of her power athletic, to turn to stone or what yeah literally can freeze defenders mm. super athletic great at, very mobile in the pocket right like has a snake tail right maybe a little too easily takes a sack kind of johnny manzel wise because it's easy to tackle the tail or whatever uh-huh. uh but like uh great great upper body right naked upper body which you know that helps with the <laughs> sort of like sight lines can literally again turn defenders to stone, um, and has great pocket awareness because all the snake eyes probably give her like three hundred sixty degree vision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Graham, would you like to join us in this space? Would you like to play with us in this I, space? So unfortunately, the graph is a little uh, blurry. It is a little blurry. It's a, it's actually, it's one of the pinned messages on the general Discord. If you really okay. just yeah. give me, one I can make second. it smaller. I would too. love to hear. I would. I would love to hear Justin's. I think that I'm going to do a little bit of fan service for Kyle Sargent. Um, and this is the only time I'll do it for you, Kyle Sargent. But I will say, um, I think the formless slime needs a look. I think you should add the formless slime to the... You, you could really just separate that formless slime into as many formless slimes as you want. Make a whole football team out of them, you know? Do what you need to do. Got a quarterback. Got a fullback for once. That'd be pretty neat. Use the formless I mean, slime in every position. Basically impossible to tackle, right? Yeah. You can't tackle. I mean, when is the formless slime down? Even like, yeah, can he be, it's hard to can tell. Which they parts be the bear down <laughs> as as an entity? How right? do I hold back the formless slime, Coach? Really, is what I need to know. Like, I, do I have a hold back formless coach. slime? <laughs> it's probably some sort of like magical field, like that's inscribed by a pentagram on the sideline <laughs> that keeps him from. We need to make Uga is a now a formless slime. The next Uga is a formless slime. He kind of is a formless <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> the inbreeding is what turned him into a dog, but he started out as a formless side. Yeah, he got there one way or another. I think it's the opposite. Round. It could yeah. be. Slowly oh, becoming yeah, a formless He was a dog, slime. and now he's becoming a formless slime. He's making yeah. a formless slime. All right, Ugh. so my answer is going to be tentacle monsters. Um, okay, they, good answer. Ah, okay. You know, tentacles... 
they're they're very how should I put it? Uh, they're a very diverse appendage. Mm-hmm. They can get a lot done. Right? Yeah. It's a great grand is horny for tentacle monsters, is what he's it, saying. Insane, insane <laughs> catch radius, insane yeah. launch angles. Right? Like right. 360 degree launch angle on that throw. Like I'm in any direction. Sure the tentacle monster. The tentacle monster could throw and catch its own touchdown pass. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, because there's no there's no statement of how long these tentacles are are on it. So that's true. Yeah, I'm just he's just taking the kickoff and literally just reaching it over the goal line. I mean, look, let's be real. The kit the tentacle monster can probably be like in the locker room with your mom, and then also on the field <laughs> scoring touchdowns at the same time. Or in the locker room with me. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or whatever. Or with whomever. With yeah. whomever the tentacle monster chooses to be. Why, why does how, the how... monster have to be a he? Yeah. I said, I, I said they. I corrected myself. But can I just say, how the hell have we gotten popular? <laughs> I have no idea. Like, I, I don't. I've, I've gotten past the I've gotten past the, the stage of Chapa Bunker where I have constant... Uh, constant just like dismay at my ability to do this mostly <laughs> like i've gotten past my sort of like uh feeling that i'm just an imposter just my imposter syndrome but like sometimes i do just marvel at it I just really leaned marvel, into I who just, we are <laughs> it's like sometimes we say things that i'm like and alexander wept for there were no more worlds to conquer once you've <laughs> talked about tentacle porn and formless slimes and sexy medusa on your stats focused football podcast uh-huh uh-huh you've that's when yeah that's you've to me that's that's spiking the ball like that that was that was a rob gronkowski spike all right give us you want to get a last question or do you want to go out on that one i got one last question i'll do I mean, that's a great question to go out on but one that we were also kind of fighting about was my own question was are there any uga podcasts out there that you think we could beat in a fight you know very uh similar to the anchorman scene where all the news channels meet up and they okay. just start kind of fighting like what are our odds here so numbers wise if we get all four of us, if we can include Josh and Graham in this, uh-huh. I feel like we we got another advantage on anybody, right? Uh, the one the one podcast I'm a little worried about is waiting since last Saturday. Uh, Scott is a uh, is sort of a, a fit freak. He's a CrossFit he's boy. He's a he's a CrossFit boy. Now I will say, you know, since he does CrossFit, I got to imagine his 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 fighting form is pretty sloppy. Because you know, CrossFit is not about like technical precision or whatever. You gotta get him talking so, about CrossFit first. Oh, so that's how you beat him. I think that's part it's of like, it. It's like as as the as the the fight starts, you're like, what do you think about cleaning rips? <laughs> hey, what do you? Hey, Scott, deadlift, and you just point, and he's like, what? <laughs> that's the only one I'd worry about. Yeah, yeah. Will, like, Will, Leach is... Will Leach is in great shape, but he's a little matchstick man. He's five foot like... two, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty honestly, dude. I I think that the a fight between Tony Waller and Josh Hancher would be like pretty most much the most epic. I would pay to watch that Royal Rumble. If I could see Tony Waller fight Josh Hancher, I would like stop fighting. It would be like (laughs) when you see two two redneck dads in the parking lot of a Kmart that (laughs) are what used to be a Kmart and is now a Halloween store, and they're like they're they both got big old plugs in. Yeah. And they're fighting, but they're also like doing the dad thing where they're kind of taking breaks mid fight, you know? <laughs> totally. I mean, like two, two just beautiful 
kind of you know large men with big dad energy big yeah. big dad energy just the They're biggest both dad very energy. disappointed in each other slightly balding <laughs> um that's part of it though, i also you know? i mean i'm very confident that we could uh the dude from dog nation daily brandon adams we would stomp his fucking ass <laughs> well said hot take <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I feel I feel pretty good about our our mix of size, uh, cardio ability, uh, just cussedness, um, access to illegal moonshine, um, like yeah. guns owned per podcaster. Like I feel like we're we're in good shape. We got a very balanced team. We're doing okay, and that's our show. Nathan, you want to see us out? <laughs> yeah, this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If anyone wants yeah. to listen to this ever at any time for any reason, A, thank you, B, Y, C, may God have mercy on your soul. But if for some reason you just listen to this and your devotion is such that you still want more information, you could find us at chapelbellcurve or at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com if you want to email us and you're over 40. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find us at Chapel Bell Curve and at the Battle Hymnal. You can find me at Nathan J. Lawrence on Twitter. You can find Graham at Dog Out West. And you can find Justin at the Justin Bray. If for some reason after all of that, you still feel that you want to <laughs> devote even more to this hilarious pile of chuckle fucks, uh, you could find us on patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. One dollar a month goes to charity this year. Uh, and we'll get you access to our Discord server, which is... Uh, if you like what we're doing here and you're still listening to this, you should be on the Discord ser server, basically. Um, there's like if, if you're listening at this point, you're in too far. Stop. Like, don't don't kink shame yourself. Admit who you are. Get on the Patreon. Get over here. Mm -hmm. uh, other than that, we will catch you this weekend in the Classic City. Maybe. And until then, maybe. Or Durango <laughs> or maybe our just our living rooms. But until then, go, go dogs. dogs.